Okay, welcome everyone. We're back Thursday night. This week is really the Torah portion of Yisro, which is the Torah portion of giving of the Torah, but we are still re- learning last week's discourse. Started last week, Thursday night. And we are on the book of Torah Or. Um, we are on page 128. Uh, we learned the two first, two, first two paragraphs. And now we're moving on to the last three paragraphs, and we'll conclude the discourse. Ah, okay. So let's let's just do a little re- um, review. Last week we were learning. Uh, there's an astonishing, interesting verse in Song of Songs, in which it compares. Hashem says, God says, um, he's speaking the 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 greatness of his bride. He's speaking the beauty of Israel, his bride, and he says, "Hold on." He says, I compare you to the horses, the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's horses as they went out of Egypt, um, which is a strange thing to say to your bride. Like, I mean, horses are pretty, but like, why does he make that particular comparison? So we learned the passage of the Zohar that Paro had an interesting um kind of a strategy when he went to war was he put the female horses um, racing in the front. Then he put the male horses behind them. I guess the strategy thus that the the male horses would be interested in catching up to the females and that would intensify the the role. That that's the on the on the literal level. And God says I compared you my bride which means in this sense, it would mean that I acted that way, or the bride of Hashem in this case. Um, so no, wait, let's first, before we get there, the Zohar says that, and that's the meaning of this is that within the camp of holiness, uh, the same the same strategy was implemented. And that is that the verse says, and Hashem, which is referring to, simply it's referring to God, was walking in front of them when they left Egypt, God was leading the way. And then it says that the, the, the um, angel of Hashem, which was in front of the, in front of the camp, left the front of the camp and it went behind them. As I discussed last week, this happened at nighttime. At nighttime, the cloud of glory, which was usually walking in front of them, there was a special uh, pillar, a pillar, a cloud, a pillar cloud, which would usually in the evening it would go up to it would go back up to the sky and a fire pillar would come down. This time the cloud pillar did not leave like it usually does, but instead it just went behind them and it, it acted as a barrier. And for two things, it intercepted the missiles that were being shot at them from behind. As the Egyptians were rolling behind them, they were using all kinds of arrows and cannons, whatever they had. Um, to haul rocks and stones, and they 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 had pretty uh, sophisticated equipment for back for the ancient times, the Egyptians, and it was would have been and the so in that sense, uh, the cloud of God stood in between to act as a shield, and like the like Hashem says this week in the, uh, in the, this Torah portion, I carried you on the wings of eagles, and the comparison to the eagle is just like the eagle flies very high so he's not afraid of any birds other birds coming and attacking his young mid-flight 
So instead, you see other birds, um, yeah, he's not afraid of any, any other birds coming from above. Sometimes you have birds that are birds of prey that in mid-flight can attack a bird, another bird from, especially if he's carrying his, his, uh, its, its babies. It's, so sometimes you can have a diving bird. These birds have amazing eyesight. They can see at amazing distances. They can do a dive and catch a bird off its mom's um, wings. Uh, but the, the eagle, because it soars at such a high, it's not afraid of any other bird. The only fear it has is from, from people shooting arrows from below. So therefore, it, wins, it will take their, their, its, 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 its babies and put it on it on the top of it when it flies. And when it does that, and as, as, as a very powerful statement, God, uh, it says, this, obviously it's not saying, but it says if it would be saying, let the arrow kill me, but not my children. In other words, it's standing over there to take the bullet for, for its children. In that sense, God is showing his amazing love that he said, I'll take the bullet for you. So he stood behind. Them. So, so how is this compared to the... So what we are seeing over here is a similarity where there is somebody in the front and then he goes to the back. But over there, it's female horses. Here, it's Hashem going in the front. Like, well, what's the comparison? So we learned a little deeper last week. When it says, and he was walking before him, and he was traveling in front of them, which is referring, simply is referring to God. But when you read the Torah more delicately and more, in a more, uh, with more nuanced, you notice that it says, and Hashem, the Hashem. And the Midrash tells us that whenever it says, and Hashem, it means him and his and his court it's not god himself it's god with his court the concept of court doesn't only mean a court but it also refers to a divine a certain element within the divine which is the female element of the divine which is called the shekhinah shekhinah is the source of creation and therefore she, she operates with a lot of with with a lot of um, judgment because to run the world there needs to be law and order there needs to be right and wrong so that therefore the shechina is called um, the court a court of judgment in that sense when it says that the one that was traveling before them went behind them it's particularly referring to the divine aspect called shechina which was in front of them is now going behind them. So now in that sense, it's the same idea like Far like Paro was doing because he's taking the female horses from the front, he's putting them behind. Here is the same thing. The feminine aspect of the divine, which was, which was marching in front of them is now behind them. Now, just like Pharaoh, when it, when did he make that switch? When it came to actually to go down into the sea, when they were standing at the beaches over there and the sea split and then Pharaoh went and gave chase into the sea, then Pharaoh removed from his art, from his, uh, the military, the, 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 the troops, uh, they, 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 at that point, they moved the females horses to the back and allowed the male horses to lead the charge. Similar to that happened right 
when we went out of Egypt, the feminine element of the divine was walking in front of us. But when we got to the sea, the same thing happened. The feminine element of the divine went behind. And then the splitting of the sea then was, was initiated and driven by the masculine element. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So last week we learned a very interesting idea. So we have to, there is the, there is the, there is going out of Egypt and then there is faith. The whole exodus has two phases. One is the actual leaving the land of Egypt. That's phase number one. Phase number two is splitting of the sea. Two stages in, in this, both in the physical exodus, it was two stages. Because when we left Egypt, we were physically liberated from enslavement. Psychologically and mentally, we were still enslaved. And even though geographically we left, there was still a threat, like we see actually happen. The Egyptians had a change of heart, and they came racing after them. So there was still a threat, albeit at a, day, at a distance, but yet they were still there, and they were still coming after them. When did we achieve absolute and complete when could we really breathe a sigh of relief? And there was no Egyptian to worry about. There was no more nightmares. There was no one to be afraid of because they were gone. It was only after the splitting of the sea when they all drowned in the sea. So then it was so that's when we achieved phase two of the exodus. And just like it is in the physical plane, so it is in the spiritual plane. Because the physical plane is a story of three and a half thousand years ago, maybe more. The spiritual story is an ongoing story of our lives ongoing story of our existence the primary principle in charge of the torah the torah charges us continuously to go out of egypt going out of egypt is a force in the universe that has to be implemented for the world to reach its ultimate its ultimate state and that's the purpose of all of our work it's all, a, it's all a process of going out of Egypt. But obviously, we're not talking about going out of Egypt. Because we're not in Egypt. We're here. We're not, we're, wherever we are, we're in, we're in America. We're, in, we're not in Egypt. So what does this mean, going out of Egypt? And the sages say it's so important. Every generation has to see themselves as if they've gone out of Egypt. Take it even further. Every day, you should see yourself like you're going out of Egypt. What's the point of it? What is the deeper meaning in that? So we learned last week as follows. Egypt represents, wait, and then once we know that there is a continuous spiritual journey that we're on and the objective is to get out of Egypt, we have to realize leading that charge of getting out of Egypt is through the, the feminine element leading us in the front. So what does that mean? And, and, the, femi and the female horses, what does that mean? You will, we will utilize female horses to get us out of Egypt. But then at a certain point, when we reach phase two of the Exodus, now the, 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 the horses, the female horses are not the ones that are going to make it through or going to take us into that final stage. Over here, it turns around and here's the male horses that are going first. What does this mean? So the concept that we learned last week is as follows. Um, Egypt means in the broader sense narrowness constriction and therefore the very 
notion that we exist within we exist within a limited existence we exist within time and space is already being in egypt even if you have everything you want literally you have happiness you have you have uh, friends you have family you have wealth you have children you have whatever you have everything you need everything a person can dream of it's still it's still egypt why is it egypt because once there's a deeper understanding how the cosmos and everything that are in it everything and everything and everything still has a limit and the truth so why do i need limitlessness <laughs> okay i'm pretty good in the limited existence why do i need limitlessness because at the core of my being i have a spark of the of the infinite and because we have a spark of the infinite we never really are satisfied with the finite even if we think we are and or even if we think that if we just get a little uh, another chunk of this world we'll really reach a state of satisfaction we'll reach a state of happiness so we're busy chasing little pieces of 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 worldly existence and accumulating more and more and more and more and more and say to ourselves when i will finally get there then i'll be satisfied it doesn't work that way because in our sub 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 psyche there is a drive to really connect to what is absolutely true and what is absolutely infinite and that is hashem himself that's that's god but in order to connect to god and going out of egypt means god through through us a hashem throws us a rope and and says hold on to that and you're really truly connected to the infinite and then i'll give you certain a mitzvot certain commandments and certain aspects and ways in your life in which you're going to be able to funnel me and channel me and live in service of me not in service of yourself but in service of something transcending yourself and in that transcendence of self and becoming part of my reality and my my truth that's going out of Egypt now you left the boundaries and become unified with me but again we cannot re because the distance between the finite and the infinite is infinite anybody existing within the finite doesn't have the ability to bridge the gap between finite and infinite because if you're finite then your power is finite if you're finite let's say let's talk about a physical space if you are limited then you can only jump let's say we're going to jump to the infinite use a very physical example we're going to leap to the infinite well how far can you leap if you are a finite being with limited strength so how far can you leap you'll exercise a lot you'll do a lot of leaping you'll leap a little further so you'll be able to leap an extra two three feet you're really really power so you're going to find certain things that will help you You'll use a uh, certain, uh, whatever it's called, a dynamite or something like this. You're going to put yourself into a cannon and have it shoot you out. And you're going to leap. So now you'll go farther. And even if you'll break and get out, of the, get out of the atmosphere and go on a spaceship and fly, but you're still dealing with finite, finite fuel, finite energy. And therefore, ultimately, we're, we are forever locked in the finiteness of existence.
We can't truly take, take off and get out, free ourselves and liberate ourselves ultimately to the truest meaning of the word from the constraints of existence that we exist. The only one who can, God has to take us out of Egypt. That's why the first commandment of the 10 commandments, I am God, your God, who has taken you out of Egypt. In other words, to make that infinite leap and that infinite jump and make ourselves and become unified and connected to the ain't self, to the infinite one, it can only come from God. God can reach out to us. He has infinite power. He can cross that infinite divide and lend you a hand and say, here, hold on. Here's my hand. Grab onto me. When you grab onto God's hand through the mitzvot, the mitzvot are God's, as the, as the Zohar says, it's God's limbs. Because it's funnels, it's it's matters. Even though you're doing just a physical act, but you're doing something that is in divine interest. So Hashem is now funneling Himself into your soul. Now, you become a conduit for infinite energy. You've left Egypt. That's our daily going out of Egypt. We have to pick ourselves up from our smallness and surrender ourselves to the to something infinitely bigger than ourselves. Turn ourselves into a to being living life in service of something higher than ourselves. And that something is the inf is God who is infinite and so forth. So Hashem has to, however, God does not lend, stretch out his hand to any of us to make that, to make that um, leap unless we desire it. He doesn't want to impose. He doesn't want, if you're happy, you're living your life being small, enjoy yourself. The, 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 it, it doesn't, it, it, God is saying, those who seek me, I open myself up to them. So we have to first stimulate from below. And that's the concept of the female horses leading them out of Egypt. Now, first there has to be a feminine, in, in our relationship with Hashem, with God, the masculine is God, because he's the bestower from above. We, the recipients from within the world, that's female. So male and female, all creation is really female in this in the greater broader context. That's why souls in the Torah, souls are always referred to feminine. Because souls are recipients of God's light. They're all females. Even though within the female souls, male souls and female souls, but still in 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 in, in essence, all souls are female. So the idea is for God to 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 be to to have an to open and to set to, to 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 pull us to pick us up from Egypt to pull us out of Egypt there needs to first be something from our end coming to God. We learned last week those are the female horses. We learned particularly it's the speech 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 is is considered horses because letters are like horses letters that form words and words form form sentences and sentences form paragraphs, paragraphs form chapters, chapters form a book, books form a whole set of books, <laughs> whatever it is. But what, 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 what they do is that they, one of the aspects of letters and words of language in general is that it, it's, it serves as a carrier. It carries, it transmits, it transfers, or in our case, better word, it transfers from point A to point B 
concepts and ideas. You publish a book, now your thoughts and ideas and feelings and whatever are now, are now being transferred to many people, whoever will read the book and the like. So words are a form of transferring, which is what horses would do. They would transfer the mail from town A to town B, or to, from this place side of the country to the other, or a person. Um, I'm, I lived over here, or I'm living over here, till now I'm, I'm in one place, hop onto the horse. And again, this is before vehicles, and my, the way of travel was through horses. So horse represents the idea of being a courier, of carrying. Therefore, words are also called a race. Words that you speak are racing out of you and racing towards other people and, tr and carrying concepts and ideas to the others. In our wordy life, in which we talk a lot, and in, in our religious experience, in our observance, there is a lot of words that we speak. Primarily, the female words are the words of the recipient where the recipient wants is using those words, those horses, as, as, as transmitters that will send off a message of desire, of want, from the one who's in Egypt to the one that can liberate them from Egypt to pick me up, take me out. In other words, our, our deep frustration of being so constricted and being so limited and being so contained and being so small and so insignificant and, and so temp temporary and the like, that frustration as and we beseech and we're calling out and we're and we're and we're and we're and we're saying here, you know, help me get out of this, help me, help me connect to something, help me make my life real, help me attach itself to something real and absolute. That cry is called feminine horses because we communicate it through words and those words reverberate on much higher levels of existence after we speak them. These are the words of prayer, whether we're saying Psalms or something. These words rise higher and higher and higher and higher and they're heard. You think, you know, you say something, it's who hears it. No, it goes higher and higher and higher and higher and it stimulates, and it's in each place it's creating more energy, it's building and building and building, and we release enormous, enormous a force, unstoppable force when we say a little prayer. Unbelievable. Down here below, it sounds like a little player, but especially if it's said with, with, with heart, it has such incredible power. It is so potent, it is so powerful. Higher and higher and higher, and moves through the cosmos, through the spiritual spiritual layers above and above and above and above until it reaches the ultimate and the truly transcendent infinite our creator himself that stands above everything the true infinity of god and it inspires hashem it reaches him to descend and come down and can and allow you to connect to him how does he respond he responds through his mail mail through his words you we speak to him he speaks back to us when he speaks to us, the main communication of God to us is through the Torah. That's why we first went out of Egypt. Going out of Egypt was us breaking free from the constraints of time and space. 
And then we come to the mountain just 49 days later, and we're there and we're waiting. And then God speaks to us. When God communicates his will, and he and his will are one. So when he communicates his will and his wisdom, which he, his wisdom, and his will are all one, as Maimonides states. So when he does that, he's then channeling his very, his very infinite self to us, into us, and, allow, and teaching us how to live in a state of funneling the divine. When we live according to the Torah, we're living a life, and, you, and a person can choose how much in and how much out. But if you choose to live 24-7 according to the Torah, then you're not living a human life, you're living a divine life. You're living, you look the same like everybody else, don't have to look different, not necessarily that, you know, you're shooting sparks and you're whatever, you look like a normal human being walking on the street. But you are a conduit for infinite energy. And the truth is, you're completely, you are different. You're infinitely different than everybody else. It's just that until the end of time, the end days, until the times when Mashiach is ready here, until the final revelation, God keeps it all hidden. So, because or else there would be no free choice. So, therefore, it looks like everybody looks the same. You know, you don't see that this is a person bubbling with infinite light. It looks, unless sometimes people are more sensitive, they can sense and, and feel and see, see some hidden lights that others don't see. But usually, you know. But it's a whole it's a world of a difference. Because you know it's a, it's a world of a difference of, of living a, a a finite momentary existence where the concern in my life is what's for lunch. That's my concern. Or my concern in my life is how do I live my next moment as an expressor of the true infinite being that 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 which is which will be expressed. In me and through me. That's liberation. So that was the reason why. Now let's go deeper. That was the reason why let's, the, 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 the feminine horses were running in front of in front. Because in order to every arousal from above is dependent on an arousal from below. Like a romance, you know? If 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 the if the if she's interested in him, that will that will stimulate him. She can send him a little a text. She can send him a little a little emoji, whatever it is. She sends him a, a, a anything. That's what you know awakens within him an interest in her. That that's the way it's working. That's what he's describing. But here we're talking. It's happening through words, and that's the idea: the female horses stimulating the male horses. God's response is the male horse. Now, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, we learned last week, was very tuned in to these powerful spiritual forces. He wasn't just a, a, a nobody. He was, he was a genius, but in the dark side. And when he saw that Israel, the souls, the Jewish souls, were being liberated and leaving his, 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 his constriction, his, his, um, his lock, he, want, he, he And he saw they left already. But he realized at the moment they left, they sucked the life out of him. He was left with, 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 with no energy, with no vitality, with no power. Because he realized that these were divine souls. That's where the energy is. When they left him, he felt bankrupt. He felt empty. He felt So now it was, you know, now it was the 11th hour for him to do whatever he can to stop this. 
So what he need really needs to do is he needs to confuse the souls that have left Egypt, the people that have left Egypt, and kind of throw them back to where they were when they were in Egypt. See, Egypt was not just a physical enslavement. It was the people were enslaved to the materialistic world. And he had to like kind of entice them again with materialism. Here you had a people that were ready to say, you know what, this momentary, um, a flimsy material uh, existence is not satisfying us. This is not what we're about. There must be something deeper and higher to life than just my physical gratification. There must be a higher purpose to my life. And the people were feeling it very strongly. And at that moment, they were so excited to become the chosen people, to become a nation that's living with a higher ideology, with a higher life, with higher aspirations, serving a higher purpose. They were so excited. But a little while ago, they were just as they were just as stuck in the in the in the muck of Egypt, like like the Egyptians. They were too, they were completely enslaved. They were that. So Pharaoh knew knew that he has to he has to distract them. So he sent his female horses out. Now what was that? Those were meant to be little triggers that will trigger. It wasn't just physical. Physically, yeah, he was chasing with the female horses, but you realize everything that's taking place in the physical is a reflection of spiritual forces. So what he was trying to do was as follows. He was trying to get assistance of super powerful dark forces from the spiritual realms above, way, way above, to attack the Jewish people through these extreme dark forces that will completely mess with their psyche and, and put them into a very dark place. See, at that moment, Israel was experiencing enormous light, an enormous truth, an enormous faith. If he can only cast doubts and suddenly throw, cast them into fear, imagine if they would have all suddenly gotten terrified about going into the desert. Realize they were going into a desert, men, women, and children, a few million people. Imagine if they lost all the trust in God. And they say, we're not going. Where are we going? There's nothing there. Not a 7-Eleven, not a, not a little, you know, there's nobody there. There's, you, like, there's nothing. Where are we going? How are we going to survive? They don't have provisions. They didn't take anything out to eat. They had nothing packed up. A little matzah. That's about it. Literally. So how are they going to survive? Yet they went with complete faith. Now, Pharaoh was trying to, 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 to get them, to paralyze them. That was it. They should have second, second thoughts. About about following with this with this with this excitement and this fervor with faith and 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 so how is he going to do it? He knew that any kind of monkey business he's going to try to try to throw at. You know he, he can he can he can um, what's it called? He can try to distract them. You know, put up. Advertisements for this, advertisements for that. Try to catch their attention, you know, to, to start. But if it would just be an a a a, if it would just be him and his and his um, media media campaign, if we let's just say, that will try to get in their way and catch them, it's not that strong enough. It's not. It's probably not going to have an impact. They were so. He has to get involved 
forces that are be completely beyond the physical. He has to get angelic forces to kind of join in this battle so that they, they'll be zapped from above with like fear, trepidation, self-doubt, uh, all kinds of like dark sin. Like when a person could, God forbid, sometimes get 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 like um, a dark energy overcomes a person, which can be very dangerous. And that's what he wanted to do. But how is he going to evoke the masculine forces of darkness? Well, it's the same trick. You, you, have to, you have to evoke through the female, through the feminine horses. In other words, through the through doing something from below to to catch the attention. So the same thing that was being done in holiness, that in order to evoke the infinite light of God to to open it open itself up, open himself up to the consciousness of the people, so that they suddenly experience this infinite truth. And they're suddenly, in, you know, filled with that light. He wanted to bring in some of the dark eyes from up there, as well to to jam them, to jam their their uh, to in, to intercept or to interfere with their with their with their channel. It's like you get static sometimes. You have a channel. You're listening to something, and then. Or like they have sometimes on the radio, you can be listening to a channel, and then they have a a emergency broadcast instead all radios everything in one second i guess the government the government has all these powers that like they don't you know we don't have they have all these powers in which they they, they suddenly can like interfere if you're on a phone call you know, no matter what it is every channel is kind of over override with this jamming power so that's what fire power wanted he wanted to jam them with powers from above but how is he going to do it he's going to do it by trying to like stimulate from below with the feminine power, a little something of it to arouse these dark forces from above. So he was playing the same game. Um, last week we discussed that. We have that as well in our own personal going out of Egypt. Not just back then, but in our own personal going out of Egypt. When we are poised to leave Egypt, when we are, for example, we're having a very good moment spiritually we're praying we're into it we're getting somewhere so one of the devices the unholy will use is this device it's called the phone so when when we try or when we're reaching a point where we're trying to get someone spiritually we suddenly get a text we get a thing or or, or sometimes without any explanation we just grab our phones and we look and as a result of that we see something and that moment distracts us and it might be just a little thing but because and it's something not necessarily of the holy, of the godly, of what you want to be thinking of while you're praying. It's a distraction. It's just a, a little ad. That's a little uh, whatever, whatever it is that they. But here's the thing: if you follow it, that that's the female horse that arouses from above elements of darkness that will that will God forbid try to stifle one's spiritual holy progress that's why it's very important to be careful from these things that look small they look like they're you know insignificant but if you pay attention to them that's when they they get you they leave it alone it's like just 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 be focused don't allow don't allow this to happen don't let pharaoh you know send in his 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 detractors okay however now we're holding over here 
All of this, this whole scheme and this whole process was until we reached the sea. Once we reached the sea, the whole thing stopped. And everything had to go back to change. Why? Because now we were ready to experience something much deeper and much, much higher from a much godlier place than the going out of Egypt. God, we were going to engage with God on a much higher level. And since we were going to engage with God on a much higher level, it's a level where stimulation from below cannot reach. In other words, our female horses that we send up don't trigger on such a high place. And therefore, over here, there's no use in 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 making an effort from below because the effort is not going to bring you anywhere. Quite on the contrary, it will only get in the way. On this case, you just have to be silent and allow allow God to initiate. That was it. It has to come from an, an initiation from above. Because it is explained that even though we are rooted in the divine, and therefore when we when we reach for God, God responds. But in the divine itself, there are levels upon levels upon levels, meaning there are, there are levels where God has contracted himself to be much closer to the universe and therefore impactable by us and by our by our by our yearning desires for him, he will respond. But then there is Hashem as God, as he stands utterly for himself, where all of creation and all of existence, everything is as if it never was created. That's how nothing it is. Nothing of nothing of nothing. And in that state, being that all of existence is nothing in his eyes, nothingness can't, can't, can't awaken you, can't attract you, can't stimulate you. And on that level, if if there will be an interaction on that level, it's only because he, who is omnipotent, who can do whatever he wants, can choose to engage. And that's what happened by the splitting of the sea. That's why we go through the drama that the Jews at, at that moment start praying, and Moshe, and, and, and Moshe also prays. Not only is he praying, he's crying out. He's, He's the leader of the people. They're stuck now. They're, they're more, just in a little while, the Egyptians will catch up and there'll be a bloodbath. And what does Moshe do? He prays, cries out. And God says, why are you, yelling? Why are you crying out to me? Shh. So the Zohar makes a, a statement uh, that um, it's actually what's... what's um, where we're standing right now is 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 it's not the, the the very same level of the divine that was communicating with Moshe till now, from where the exodus of Egypt happened, told Moshe, "Why are you crying out to me? I can't help you. You got to speak to the higher ups." Amazing statement. The very God who until now was talking, leading them out of Egypt, told them, "Now I'm helpless." one god we're not talking there's only one god that's the but what we mean is the the level of interaction where you're reaching me is not what's needed now you have to reach much deeper into my to a place where where you can't reach 
And therefore over there, just be silent. I forgot that we actually um, learned this piece, Achene. We learned actually, we're holding in the fourth chapter. We learned this last, we went till, till here. But let's learn it again. It'll help us flow. So let's learn this last chapter again. The arousal from below, from above, that comes and could be stimulated through the arousal from below, Hanal that we mentioned earlier, which is the going out of Egypt. As we said earlier, is only a drawing down from above, from a certain level called Chachma. Chachma is wisdom. It's already the beginning of the evolution of worlds. In 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 Kabbalistic and Kabbalistic writings, we learned that there are four general layers to creation. There's the material world. There is the world of the angels. There's the world of the souls, and then there's the world of the divine. But the world of the divine is also a world in the context that there is already attributes there, and that's really the source for creation. In God Himself, it's the source for creation. Within those 10 attributes, the highest of the attributes is called wisdom. So from wisdom and onward, God kind of has already let himself down to be to be relatable to the creation. But above wisdom, above that, prior to God's adaptation into a having a personality and being in a more relatable place, where Hashem is still in his pure, infinite state, that's higher than wisdom. Kabbalistic terminology refers to that as Keter, the crown. Over there, over there, nothing can, 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 can reach. There we can't impact. And from that very place is where the sea split. And that's why in order for that to happen, all we can do is just be quiet and be silent. So let's read it. So, so the highest point where we can read only to draw from the level of Chachma, of the world of emanation. Because our arousal from below is not able to awaken higher than Chachma. Why? How are, how are we stimulating? What are, what, what's our power to awaken, to stimulate, to drive? It's through the power of our speech. Which speech, we spoke is the power of our horses, which is the speech, which is all related to the power of malchut. Malchut is called speech. So, and so, when something, when you, you know, the power of speech can only, can only trigger from where the source of speech is. So, mystically, malchut, which is the speech, is rooted in the first. Malchus, which is the last of the ten attributes, is rooted in the first attribute. It's rooted in Chachma, which is enormously high, but yet still within the context of the world. Kamay Hadibur, just like in a person's speech, and Imshach Mabchanes Chachma, just like speech comes from the power of wisdom. which is the beginning and the source of speech. Alkain, and therefore, Embekoch Hadibur Lailois. So the power of speech cannot rise above Chachma. There's a ceiling. It caps out. What's the cap? The cap is Chachma. Wisdom. 
Um, and the, so just like it is in a human being, the same result, he gave an example by us, that speech within a person stimulates the creative mind, but only in the level of the mind. So the same is Chachma Datsilos, the, 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 the power of wisdom of the world of Atsilos, the super brain, the God, the divine brain, Nikra Abba, and, and the first primary function of that brain, of the of the of the supermind, of which is called father. Which is the, the, the very root and the source of all revelation. It's the beginning of the chain-like progression of worlds. And Malchut, which is much, much lower, is called his daughter. Malchus is already the source of finite creation. But yet, Malchus is called her, his daughter, and therefore she has a way to her father's heart. She has a way to draw him. Okay, but not higher than that. The power of the Malchut, of the kingship of Atsilus, does not have the ability to rise and to awaken. Through its arousal from below, Above and beyond the power of Chachma of the world of Atzilus. Just like a child. A child races or chases after. You know, when you see a little toddler, the mother goes in the other room and there's no one else in the house. The child is uncomfortable. They want to always, they, they drawn, they go running after their mom. Because the child, somehow, even if it's not necessarily a full developed understanding but they have this in, intrinsic uh feeling that this is my source it's not only by human children animals too right so you see the baby elephant will run after mom wherever the mother mom goes because they they sense it everything is drawn to its source so the malchut is drawn to chachma which is its source and chachma is drawable by by malchut because they have a a relationship um, yeah. That's why when Malchus goes up, when she rises, like we said before, the female horses, is only to stimulate the power of Chachma. Which is the beginning of revelation, employing that arousal from below. As we said earlier. And through this, it's a statement of the Zohar that uh, a spirit, a spirit, icy ruach, which when you this this spirit icy comes forth, amshech ruach, it draws the same, it draws an energy down to it. A, a rising energy draws down a a a descending energy. Fine, and that's the idea. So the arousal from above. above should should open up and flow from where from the from the divine mind from God's infinite mind to to be directed towards Malchut, towards kingship which is the source of creation that creation should be enlightened and blessed with all this enormous enlightenment and enormous power and enormous blessing coming from Hashem's mind for it to um, expand and extend itself into the three lower worlds. Creation, formation, 
in completion. But once we're talking about be above and beyond Chachma, which is Bchinas Keser Elyon, which is the supernal crown, the arousal from below is not able to awaken on that high level. Because this is above the entire progression of worlds. It's above the beginning of this of this chain-like progression where God is already descending. And once he descends, there is a whole system. First, there's a level of wisdom. Then there's the level of understanding. Then there's a level of knowledge. From, and that's all the intellectual aspects of the divine. Then it lowers down into the, the, God's emotions. It comes closer to the creation. Just like emotions are more external than intelligence. And then you go, the emotions flow down, down, and it finally flows into the divine speech, which speech is a direct source for creation. That's the way where things are already in a stage where one thing is evolving from the next. It's called an evolution, a spiritual evolution. So the whole chain-like evolution could you could stimulate from. So for example, when we do an act of kindness, we're stimulating from the supernal attribute of kindness. So we're, 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 we're like, we're pumping God's kindness. When we're doing an act of discipline, then we are revoking the divine discipline to cause, to bring about discipline and order in the world, which is needed. And, and, and so on and so forth. When we act with compassion, then we evoke divine compassion. But that's because there's a relationship between our compassion and the divine compassion, even though we're finite and it's infinite, but the very notion that he, that it is already described as compassion, which is already has already some kind of a of a context, some kind of a def definition. That's already part of the evolving order, and over there we can stimulate. But to go past that, and to get past all of that, and 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 now try to reach God, where God has no particular face. He doesn't have a face of kindness or compassion because he's beyond all these features and beyond all these definitions. No matter how high we will, we will, we will elevate them higher and higher, and what kind of an expansive kindness and and and, and and compassion, but yet it's still something. So when God transcends that over there, we have no, we have no, nothing that can, that can reach them. So what then? Even though he says, when you're dealing with the actual uh, evolution, where things evolve one from the other, for example, wisdom is above understanding. Bina and Bina is above, understanding is above Midos, it's above emotions. So, and this, when we say above, it's, it's, it's way above. Nevertheless, there is still some kind of a connection. There is some somewhat of a value. But from the highest point, which is wisdom, the gap that exists between that and the supernal crown and the crown, the others 
That's absolute. That's an absolute distance. It's an absolute distance. It's unbridgeable. And there's nothing that we can... Neymar, on this level, it says, nothing can compare to you. There is no comparison at all. It is nothing, nothing, nothing. As it is stated in other discourses that we learned in the past, a very, 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 very um, intense teaching. It says like this, you know, we are, the, the distance that there is between a physical object and a spiritual being is huge. A spirit, an angel, and a physical object, take a stone, or even a flower, a plant, and a, and a pure spiritual abstract being, there's a huge gap, huge difference. And then that angel compared to something much higher, huge, huge. The differences are huge. And then when and then when you measure all of this compared to the divine and the divine to the divine energies, the 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 the, the gap. And the distance is even greater. And so you go higher and higher and higher. And then once you hit the divine attributes and you go from attribute to attribute, you realize level, each level over here is on is on God's scale. So the differences are like, it's not normal. Yet it says, the highest point of this entire, this entire um, evolution, from the very tippy top, which would be the innermost of God's wisdom, which is the very tippy top of God, but already in, a, in somewhat the beginnings of definition, right? Somewhat of definition, which is so high and so boundless. The distance between that and, um, and a piece, a grain of sand on the beach. What is like one of the most insignificant things you can even imagine go to the beach walk off the beach how many pieces of sand are stuck on you you don't even know you don't care it's insignificant doesn't mean anything it's it, it, it's nothing it, it, whatever i mean you're talking about like you say, wow. so we say like this to the infinite one himself that transcends the divine mind the highest point in the in Chachma, in Hashem's mind, and that grain grain of sand are absolutely the same. They're both absolutely nothing. That shows you how the whole thing is one nothing of nothing compared to absolute the truth of God. That means that if 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 a piece of sand would decide, I am really a loser being a piece of sand i really want to be something more and would start working on itself somehow make its way start you know moving up the ladder of achievements and accomplishments imagine if that piece of sand ma managed to turn itself into a plant and then from a plant it managed to you know jump the thing and, and like evolve into a evolve into you know they talk about evolution so they talk about things just like evolved into things it's weird but they so because god created everything not nothing things didn't there is some levels of evolution but the main so but let's say a a, a, a sand is able to evolve into a flower 
and then from a flower it can evolve into a into into an animal and from an animal it could evolve into a human and from the most unsophisticated human it can evolve and become the smartest human being that there is around it can become the and the most spiritual human being that you have wow you were once a sand now you're wow that's something and then through the process of striving and working and stuff it would it would lots of meditation and lots whatever it would take it would evolve into an angel and and in angels itself you start off as a little shmegege angel you know a little guy and then you move your way up up higher 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 to higher levels of angels until till 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 til, til you ascend up above this little sand made its enormous journey of evolution backwards evolution up it's up it's it's going up 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 the ladder all the way all the way all the way all the way up till it becomes transitions from being a creation to being something of the divine <laughs> wow and then in that itself it's moving higher and higher till it reaches that it lodges itself in the highest of the divine attributes in the chachma it became and lost itself in the in the dimension of the infinite wisdom of god it made its way like a salmon up the upstream it made its way from the lowest point to the highest point it would turn around and suddenly look up beyond that and it would realize it was a waste of time <laughs> because compared to what's the next gap which is an infinite gap there ain't no it could it could have just as been a piece of sand and been just as equally far that now that it made it up here because the gap between the highest of water ready is already part of the adapted order to the truth of the infinite is infinite and that's where the jewish people were stuck at the, the sea they needed to cross that barrier that absolute barrier but they couldn't do anything that's the idea that's the concept of the distance from chachma to keser is an absolute distance much more than from chachma all the way down to the lowest point in this world ah as he says over here to the supernal crown comes from nothingness that means the level beyond chachma is called nothing which is the power of of the crown it's above the entire created and realm at all. This is already called the Kabbalistic, and it's called the Galgalta, the level of skull. In a sense, it's not, we would not be using the example of skull because the skull is still the tippy top of the body, so it's still part of the body. He's going to, in a moment, explain that it's the crown. The crown is not part of your body. It's above the body, sitting above. Which is the tippy end of the of the Ein Sof. Just like Chachma is the very, very highest point of the evolving order of creation, Keter is the lowest point, if you can say, of the of the of, of God's 
pre pre lowering himself down to the creation. So how can you say it's the lowest? What would he, what would be the lowest if he didn't lower himself? That's a good question. But in any case, this is like the example of a crown, Lamata. A crown by a person shoe ala rosh, it sits on top of the head. It doesn't have any connection to the head. Hands and feet, they might be lower in the body, but they have a connection to the head. Even though lower than the head, they do have a connection to the head. But the keser is on the head. Meaning above it. Keter doesn't have any relationship with Chachm. Klaler has no, there's no comparison at all. Okay, and now we understand why on this level, if and when and as long as we're all part of a creation, part of a world, our arousal from below cannot reach this place. Over here, the arousal from below cannot reach. To this level of crown. This has to happen. If it's going to happen, it has to happen on its own. When it is, for whatever reason, God decided that he himself wants to reveal himself and communicate himself and connect to us, it has to happen. It has to happen on its own without an arousal from below. Because we cannot evoke it. We can't provoke it. We can't evoke it. We don't have the telephone number to this place. So, so where do we see? There is a holiday where this reveals itself. And that's on the holiday of Shavuot, which is so hard. The holiday of the giving of the Torah. That's this week's parasha, Yisro's Shavuot. Last week, Peshalach is Pesach, but this week's parasha, Yisro, Shavuos. Shavuos, by the moment of the giving of the Torah, God himself appeared. And God begins to reveal himself. He doesn't mention his name. The first words that Hashem speaks is not Hashem Elohim, I'm here. He says, Anochi, I am here. The word I means me and all of my entirety. Me as I don't, me as I truly am. Not in any way, not me as a creator of the universe, not me with my professional self, me with my true self. It's like, I'll give you, a, let's give an, a human example for all of this that we're talking about. The doctor sees his patients in the office. And, and patients have a relationship with their doctor. They know their doctor, they see their doctor, they talk to their doctor but they know the doctor within the context of his professional office. Within that realm of professional, his professional uh, official stand, they could have quite a, a connection to their doctor. But there is a doc, there is a person here that goes home to his wife and his children and over there, he's not doctor so-and-so. He's a father. He's a husband. He has a life. He or she, whatever. And on that, that part of themselves, they don't share in their office. 
It's 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 not meant for the office. It's 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 them as they live as a private individual in their own existence. In the context of their professional world, they appear. So God as well has a professional self. The professional self is his him, him as a creator. And over there, it's like then you that's like it's like you, you can call your doctor in the office. Doesn't necessarily give you his own private phone cell number. That's okay. So the, the, the because of the case of emergencies, the doctor sometimes would do that. But in essence, you can reach me. Call the office. In the office, right? But to meet to reach you and to reach the doctor when the doctor is in vacation. He's over there in Barbados, over there or not. <laughs> no one is reaching him. His children. His very close friends. It's a different story. So we're saying over here, this is a level by God where God is to himself, not as the profession, not as. So and where does he reveal himself like that? On Shavuot. Because when God comes down on, on, on the day of the giving of the Torah, he said, I am God, your God. I I'm not leaving anything behind that I'm not in, that I'm not investing in the relationship. But that's because he chose to do so by the giving of the Torah. He chose to get so deeply engaged and involved with us from a level that we can. The, the beginning of the giving of the Torah was the splitting of the sea. That was a pre a preparation for the giving of the Torah. And that's why the splitting of the sea happened a month and a half before the giving of the Torah also had the same flavor it was also coming from the same place and therefore it needed to be done completely with the male horses not with the female horses. male horses meaning that God needs to initiate it on his own no it's not initiated by the recipient on Shavuos the Keser is revealed this is the idea of the splitting of the sea. At the time of the splitting of the sea, there was a revelation of, of the supernal crown. Like it says, yeah, like it says, Hashem. Hashem says, who was Hashem? When it says, Yomer Hashem, Hashem says, who is Hashem? Hashem Kabbalistically, mystically, is referring to Ze'er Anpit. That's already God's name. It's like God's professional self was saying to Moshe, this is not dependent on me as a creator. This is dependent on the infinite truth, inner, inner, higher level of God himself. Why are you crying out to me? I can't help you. This is not dependent on me. A much higher level, the level of Atik Yoimin, the ancient of days. Talia, this is dependent on. Now, the level called the skull, as we mentioned earlier. Which is the crown. Into the level of Keter, to the crown. The arousal from below is not able to evoke on this high level. And that's why Hashem also says, that's why one of the statements Hashem makes to Moshe, 
Hashem Yelochem Lochem, God will fight for you. The Atem Tachnishin, your business right now is to be silent. Don't talk, don't evoke, don't stimulate. Silence. And the Zohar explains what does the silent mean. It doesn't only mean silencing your, your mouth. Don't cry out. It means silence your entire being. Just be silent. Don't try to evoke anything. Don't try to reach for him. Just be. This is the ultimate passiveness. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no aggression over here. Just be passive, completely passive. Because if you're going to try to evoke your 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 stimulation, is gonna is gonna. It's like uh, your 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 stimulation is going to. Um, Missed the mark, the point. It's not gonna. It's like shooting an arrow, but like like not hitting the target at all. Right now, the target is too high for you to hit it with your arrows. So don't try to hit it. Him to Sodom, if you're gonna try to do it, as ein yochali then the arousal from below won't be able to be The system you will evoke the system from a much lower place, and which cannot bring about the splitting of the sea. Which is only from the Chachman and Chachman lower. But then at the time of the splitting of the sea, there was the revelation of the crown, which happens on its own, without arousal from below, and that's why be silent. And when this Keter Elyon was revealed, what happened? The, the sea became dry land. Why? What did we say earlier? That in compared to the level of the Ein Sof, of the Keter, the highest points of creation, even of the divine levels that are related to creation, are equal to the lowest things. Everything, there's a certain equality because it's above, it's above all these differentiations. They're all meaningless. Because they're all meaningless, the highest and the lowest can stand together. And that's what happened by the splitting of the sea. What was the splitting of the sea? In general, in creation, there are two zones. Dry land and aquatic zone. What are these two zones? Dry land, the sages say, is an interesting observation. We take a look. Everything that exists on dry land exists in the sea. There are forests in the sea, kelp forests. There are canyons, there are mountains, there are caves, there are, there are deserts, but I guess because it's the water, but everything. There's different, different, different climates in the sea, different, like, like it's amazing, it's not like, on the outside, when you look on the top, it all looks like just an ocean, covered by an ocean. But inside, there's worlds apart, every part, and different in each with its own type of fish and creatures. Really, it says that for every living mammal or creature that there is on dry land or even insect, there is an equivalent insect or an equivalent type of a being in the amongst the fish that matches up. It's almost like a double world. There's a world out here, and there's a world under the water. 
just like it is physically that way, that represents also a spiritual concept. What's the primary difference between the non-ocean and the ocean? If everything is the same, what's the primary difference? In the ocean, it's all concealed. It's hidden from us. We look at the ocean. We barely see the surface. You see just a, unless you go scuba diving. But other than that, you don't see what's going on. We only have a, because everything is submerged and everything is hidden. Dry land, everything is exposed. You can see it all. All creatures, they go on top of the land. They're not in the land. They're above the land. So they're dry. They're exposed. They're identifiable and so forth. Spiritually, what does that mean? There are our existence. We're considered the dry land existence. Because our, our selves and our world, our first of all, we are noticed. We can see each other. We can see us. But we can't see our deeper levels of the of existence. Angels, for instance, we don't see it because they're part of the sea world. They're part of a concealed higher reality. Even though they exist and the angels could be floating through this room right now, because when we speak about higher worlds, we don't mean far away. We mean deeper levels of existence that are here. Just we don't have the frequency to pick it up. Just like if you have a rate, like just like there's radio waves and television uh, images going through over here, channels. And the reason it's not, um, we're not hearing it, it's because we don't have an, a radio here that's on, turned on, or a television that's picking up the, the frequencies, that's picking up those images or picking up those waves. But it's here. So just like it is within the physical itself, you understand that we have certain, you have to have a certain receptor to receive certain certain stimuli certain things so on a much deeper level there's angels and all, but we have no clue that they exist or we know they exist because so it says in the in the books but in terms of an experiential way it's hardly why because they're from the concealed and what are they concealed in they're so conscious of god that they hardly notice themselves that's another meaning of concealed just like the fish creatures are submerged in the sea, they're so submerged in Hashem's truth that they don't even feel themselves. They're kind of lost in God. That's how powerful, because their consciousness of God is so intense. It's only down here where God's awareness or consciousness is completely turned down. God turns the dial down in our world to hide himself. He makes himself completely concealed and hidden over here. So we shouldn't feel it. That's when we can test us. So going back, even the angels that we don't see, which are part of the concealed world, to us, they're sea creatures. But to a level higher than them, they are considered revealed creatures. And to them, a higher level is considered a mystery. So to them, they, they, they are creatures of the non-aquatic world, but they know that there is a level beyond them where that's the sea. Now, if you go up to the next world, they have the same experience. They know themselves and they see, they see their own likely creatures around them. Millions, it's inhabited by billions and gazillions of creatures, of spiritual beings, spiritual celestial beings. They perceive themselves as being in the revealed world. 
on dry land, but they know there is a deeper existence that's higher than them, that that's the concealed one. So it goes layers upon layers upon layers. To every world, the world that's above it is called the ocean. And they're called dry land. So it goes higher and higher. And this can be a spiral of millions of levels, above and above and above and above. Dry land, sea. Dry land, then that sea to the high. Ultimately, the ultimate, deepest, highest, inner, 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 you know, boundless existences, that's like the ultimate sea, the hidden sea. And now, generally, God set up a barrier. You know, if we would see angels, if we would see all that's going on, we would we, we would have nervous breakdowns. We would go crazy. We couldn't handle it. So it's kind of shut down from us. We don't see it. God says, you're in dry land, you know, don't mix the two. By the splitting of the sea, God tore, he kind of opened that spiritual zipper and he like removed the partition from the entire system. And he made that the concealed world suddenly came out to become revealed. Or rather, in other words, he invited the creatures of the most external world, physical human beings, to take a tour into the ocean. And we went deeper and deeper. We got to see the entire map of the cosmos, not just the map of it. We actually got to experience everything that we once heard from our, that there is an existence of angelic beings. And I, we got to experience it in a real way. So the dry land and the, and the, and the, and the, and on every level this happened, this, this went, this ripped through all of existence that whatever was once concealed now became revealed. So it was the most enormous, exhilarating spiritual experience ever. Which is absolutely marvelous and spectacular. But hold it. How could it be? How can the lowest world be get it, get get to experience and to taste? Not just the one sea above it, but a sea above the sea and a sea above. To get to see such endless levels, how could that happen? How can there be such a mixture? They are... They are so far apart one from the other. The answer is, since by the splitting of the sea, God's very self was revealed, the infinite, the keter, the crown, which to him, the highest and the lowest are equal. So that equalized everything. And we're only difference, we're only different one from each other, level from level within this context called creation. Once God went past that, and he himself became revealed, as we said earlier, the blade of sand and the highest, highest, most sublime being are absolutely equal. So the splitting of the sea was accomplished through this revelation of Keter, of the crown. But in order to evoke that, you can't evoke silence. So... Um, that's from the what was once concealed became revealed the abba in general it means like this now I, I i we spoke that levels upon levels the lower level is concealed to reveal the higher level is the concealed after all these levels when we get to the divine attributes which are 10 the first two attributes and 
The first two are considered the concealed of the attributes. The latter attributes, the six emotions plus the malchut, they're considered the revealed part because they have a much more of a relationship with the creation. The, the, the hinted to in the latter two names of letters of God's name. The first two are hinted to in yud the latter. So yud the Yud and the He of God's name, the first two letters representing Chachma Bin are considered the concealed world. The Vav and the He is considered the revealed world. But at that time, what happened? The Yud and the He was revealed in the Vav and the He. It was completely open. Father and mother, which are the higher two spheros, are called the concealed world. Male and female, which are the six emotions and malchus, are called the revealed world. How can something so much higher come to revelation? Because there was a revelation, a revelation of the level of crown, that it's above and beyond the entire progressive order. To that level and from that level, because over there, Helem Vigiloy Shavin what is concealed and revealed within the system are considered absolutely equal. Like King David says, to you yourself, darkness and light are equal. That light isn't any closer or better or higher than darkness. The darkness is the same like the light and the light is the same like the darkness because you utterly transcend both of them. And that's why there can be from concealed to revelation. Okay, this is now. Now we're actually getting to the part where we were actually holding last week. We just this was like more of a review. which with, with some added explanation. and that's the reason why it, the verse says, Hafach Yom God converted seed to dry land. This is a verse in Psalms. God converted seed to dry land. Sham. And when that happens, Sham means over there, Nismacha, we rejoice, bow in him. That means at that event, we got to rejoice in God himself. So when we didn't, we didn't rejoice in the splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea is super cool. Because to get to experience what the sea is and everything that's in the sea is awesome. But we were we were more excited not about the splitting of the sea, but what's causing the splitting of the sea, which is the revelation of God himself. That was the excitement. Shalom over there, nismacha. We rejoiced by in you, you yourself. Sure. Oh. Now, he's not just like we spoke that this, the going out of Egypt is a daily exercise which we ought to do every day, in which, what does guilt going out of Egypt mean? We lift ourselves up from our finite, self-absorbed life and, and, and attach ourselves to God's purpose, to a higher purpose, which is God's purpose, and then become vehicles and instruments, and even deeper than that, we become funnels and limbs 
through which the divine purpose is seen through us. Right? So we become attached to the divine. And that means go, you went out of Egypt. So just like that experience is a daily experience, the splitting of the sea is also a daily experience. Which means, what's the difference between the splitting of the sea and going out of Egypt? Going out of Egypt is connecting to divinity. Splitting of the sea is an encounter with God himself. Not divinity, not divine lights, not divine emanations. So what is that? So when you're doing a mitzvah, you're channeling, you're channeling certain aspects of the divine. So going out of Egypt is through doing a mitzvah. When you're giving charity, because God said so, right now, God's kindness has hooked itself up to your kindness, and your kindness is now just a body. Your spiritual kindness of your soul has now become a body and a vehicle through which the soul, which is God's kindness, flows through you. So God was now kind to an individual. God just gave that person a ride. Through who? Through you. So you acted now as a funnel for the infinite. Pretty cool. But a certain aspect of the divine, which is God's kindness. Now you have to take it a notch further. Not only to connect to God's attributes, but to connect to God's very, very self. Where do you get that? Not in the mitzvah you do. Here's, the, here's a wild thing in the discourse. Not in the mitzvah you do, but in the joy that you have when you're doing the mitzvah. The joy that you have when you're doing the mitzvah is taking you much further than the mitzvah itself. The mitzvah is connecting you to the attributic elements of the divine. As I said earlier, the mitzvah is connecting you to divinity. The joy of the mitzvah is connecting you to, the, to God's essence. Why? Because by the by, by the by the Yamsuf, what does it say? God split the 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 sea into dry land, or converted the sea into dry land. Sham over there. What was our reaction to that? Nismacha. We exploded with joy. So the splitting of the sea, in addition to it be to it being the highest prophetic experience was also the most joyous experience because when the soul feels and comes into senses the the pure infinity that that causes uncontainable joy that's where the joy suddenly is like deep joy that hit the soul and who are you rejoicing you're rejoicing in in him in the very very essence of the infinite now as he says over here where do we have it in our lives well that's what's happening in a mitzvah but the simcha of the mitzvah the joy of the mitzvah when you're joyous when you do a mitzvah keter the keter crown is opening up to your soul when you're doing the mitzvahs regularly, then you're channeling the, the 
the the the the the spherot. Every mitzvah is connected to one of the spherot, but you're getting the spherot without the crown. Only the joy of the mitzvah is where the crown is. Shugam is Now that's why. Which is the day that we're the most joyous in our in our Jewish experience? Simchas Torah. What do we do then? We dance with the Torahs with their crown. Because it's the Hizgalos of Kesser and Simchas Torah. It's, 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 it's the crown. The level of crown is revealing itself. And what is that? Tainug HaMitzvahs. There's two things. There is the commandments, the things that God likes, which are his commandments, and the things that he flows in. These are things like he does through us. But then there is the divine pleasure that he has when we do a mitzvah. There is what he wants, and there is the pleasure in what he wants. The pleasure what what he wants is deeper than what he wants itself. So why are we why are we so joyous when we do a mitzvah? Because we can sense the pleasure that he has from us doing the mitzvah. There's no greater joy than feeling that you brought the essence of existence pleasure. which is the pleasure of the mitzvahs. As they are in their essence, in the supernal higher will of God. Torah emanates according to the Zohar, which is the truth. It emanates from where? From the level of Chachma. The explanation of the mitzvahs are all from the level of Chachma. The reasoning, but the root, root of the mitzvah, is really from the crown. In the terminology of Kabbalah, the whiteness of the skull, meaning it's above all rational reason, logic, even the highest. So is the divine pleasure. Shemshon, that's from such a high, lofty place. Nimshachin are drawn. So the Zohar says that from the whiteness of the skull, of God's skull, whatever that means, is drawn 613 paths into the Zeir Anpin. Shem Orchai Savaya, they're called the pathways of Yudke Vavkin. So they're pathways from the infinite into the limbs of the king, which are the Matariag Mitzvah and Zayim Mitzvah de Rabbana. And these are the 613 commandments with the seven rabbinic add-ons, Hubigamatria Tarach, which together equals 620, which the numeric value of 620 is the same numeric value of the Hebrew word crown, which is the crown, but just doing the mitzvahs are not really opening you up to this level. The joy that's in the mitzvah, which means you're appreciating the mitzvah for what the mitzvah really is, which is the infinite pleasure of God, that's what's opening and stimulating and revealing this dimension. From this incredibly incomprehensible high place, this enormous godly essence is in a little capsule what's the capsule the physical action of doing a mitzvah the wild 
the deepest godly godly inner pleasures are captured in our small mitzvot that we do, even though they're physical actions. They come into vessels, they come into containers. Then they're called the limbs of the king. Now, and he gives an, an, an amazing example of what the, why we call it, or explanation of why we call it limbs. Right? If I want to pull a person, what do I do? I stretch out my hand and I pull the person with my hand. Stretch out my hand, I can give you, I can pull the person. Now, what am I pulling? I'm pulling your physical arm. And, and, and but, but when we're talking about a person, the, the real person is the soul. So hold it. How am I I'm drawing you? How am I drawing a person close by doing what? By giving a person my hand? I'm pulling with your I'm pulling your hand. That's just your vessel. Ah, because it's a vessel. In the vessel is the soul. So when you pull someone by their physical limbs, you're drawing their soul energy as well, all the way to their very self is being drawn along with it. Same as also, we can't access God's abstraction of abstraction of abstraction of abstraction. Yet in his limbs, we could. And what are his limbs? These are the act of a mitzvah. So you say, well, I'm just doing something physical. How can that be meaningful? No, it's not the physical act that's meaningful. It's who you're pulling in that act. By pulling the physical hand, you're shaking the soul. Even if, though, if I try to pull, if I try to bring a person over, not through, not through taking hold of their limbs, just trying to pull their soul, I can't do that. But through the limbs, I could do it. When the person is enclosed in limbs, as I then when you shake a person's hand, the soul is also shaking. The same is also above. Even though the level of crown is above the whole creative order. And this is a level where you can't reach at all by arousal from below. Like oh, so as we said earlier, God has to give it to us. You can't do it. So that's what he does. He himself vests himself in the mitzvahs. When we say you can't evoke it with your own, meaning from from, from within our ideas, from our 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 own spirituals, of our own spiritual quests or spiritual uh, whatever you might want to call it, stimulations from below, we can't evoke this. But as a gift, God can give it to us, like by the splitting of the sea. He, he opened up the sea on his own, on his own volition, like by the giving of the Torah. And once God gave us the Torah, he vested himself on this very, very high level into those mitzvot. So every time you do a mitzvah, you're pulling God's very essence to you. Which are the limbs and the, uh, the 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 vessels and the containers and the limbs to that level of crown. Chesed uh, Kindness is considered the right arm. So when So even though all you're doing is, you you know you helped someone put their bags in the car. What have you done already? You think such a small little thing didn't do much. You want to feed. You know, someone in a, in a, in a, who needs help. Okay, so you, you delivered a little food to to someone who's kind of stuck in the house and can't get out or whatever. 
So what happens then? So that's kindness that you did. You're actually pulling the infinite one, blessed is he. You're pulling him by his right arm because he gave this as a mitzvah. He said, this is the kindness that I want to do. And you're going you, you're gonna to facilitate my, my energy of kindness and my kindness is going to, which, which the kindness itself, which is God's right arm, which within his limb he dwells, is now entering into our hand, which what we're doing, and we're doing the mitzvah. But still, that's the power of it. And the same is also the, with, with, with the power of Hashem's the left hand, which is more the power of discipline. Chain Teferis says also the power of the of the of the Ferris, which is the center, which is the middle, the middle pillar. which are all They also come from Keter. As the as the as the Keter is now enclosed, as he said earlier, 613 pathways coming from the skull going into the Zairampin, the Zairampin are the limbs which are the mitzvahs. But the main point is when that happens, what, is, what, kind of, what kind of a reaction? How do we react to it? We react to it with, with crazy joy. Over there we rejoice in him. Which is the, the joy of the mitzvah now. Just like by the splitting of the sea, it was a time that we burst into song. The song of the sea, which was amazingly joyous. And by the women, it was even stronger because the women went out and danced and they had tambourines. The men didn't. The men were losers then because they didn't trust, so they didn't prepare any musical instruments. But the women, they, they had it all prepared. They were ready. And they, that's why it says, it says Miriam went out with the tambourines and with the dancing. And the, all the women went behind the, in a dance. It doesn't say that by the men. But the women, it does. So the real simcha shal mitzvah, the real joy of the mitzvah, it seems to be more active and more um, accessible in the women's soul. But in any case, that's where you connect to the crown. And this is, and this, and this is through this happens the splitting of the sea, through the revelation of keter happens the splitting of the sea. So in our own life, when we experience the joy of a mitzvah. Then we can split seas as well within ourselves. The deepest things can we can then on this. We know that through joy, we suddenly have so amazing, so much more abilities. We have much greater creativity. We have much greater. But when we're when we when we're when we're sad and melancholy and depressed, so everything is shut down. Everything is kind of like we barely have a trickle of life. And and uh, with a trickle, it's only a trickle. What's the, what's the, but joys, joys, what gets everything pumping? Okay, the zel, and now we'll understand. Now we conclude the discourse. In the beginning, when we went out of Egypt, so then the vahashem, the level of vahashem, which was the malchus of atzilus. Makar Nishmas Yisrael, which is the feminine element of God, which is the source of all Jewish souls. Hoylech Lefneim was walking in front of us. Shenishmas Yisrael nimshachan achreo. All the Jewish souls were following the Shekhinah behind her. Shemiyitzis Mitzrayim, because by the going out of Egypt, Shemalchus Tatzilus, 
The Shekhinah herself, as we learned, I, I forgot to, I didn't really speak about that much today, but the Shekhinah itself joined the Jewish people in exile. So she is also in the constriction. She's also in the darkness in, in, in Egypt. So when we went out of Egypt, the Shekhinah, which is the divine constricted element of the divine that is the source of creation, the soul of creation, is also feels claustrophobic. And she herself wanted to come out and cry, not much deeper than us. And when we were liberated, the Shekhinah was liberated. So she, the feminine element of the divine, made contact with the masculine element of the divine, and now she's connected, no more constricted within, within creation. We, the details, we, the little sparks of the Shekhinah, were all gravitating behind the Shekhinah. And as the Shekhinah was going out of, out of exile, in her unbelievable yearning for the infinite, she lifted us all with her. So she we were all following our mom out of exile. That was the kind of the imagery we're getting over here. She marched first, the soul of all souls, and we were all pulled by her. Um, the Malchus of Atzilus is Euler. She's rising from the exile of the three lower worlds, of the constriction of creation. And she is being included above the Serusa in her arousal from below as she sings a song of yearning she picked up all of us and as she rises into the infinite and becomes nullified in the infinite lost in that infinite light we're all we're all joining in that in that ascendance and that transcendence canal and through this this is what causes the souls of Israel also to go up from Egypt. To undress ourselves from the constriction of time and space, from the constriction of here and now, and to enter into eternity. To touch the, the, uh, the, the levels of Atzilut, which is the divine. And we were following behind her after Knesset Yisrael is another word for Shekhinah. It's the ensemble of all of, of all of Israel, of all souls. Avo Bashas Kriyas Yamsov, but at the time of the Kriyas Yamsov, the Shekhinah stopped playing her flute. Because she herself is also finite in the sense that she's the mother of creation. So when she will try to evoke her husband, she won't be able to reach him on this level that she needs to reach him. This is a level that's utterly beyond any kind of stimuli from below, as we said earlier. So the Shekhinah also had to be quiet. That's why she was sent to the back of the line. Aval b'shas kriyas yamso by the time of the splitting of the sea. What was revealed to Israel, to the Jewish people, was from Keser Elyon, from the supernal crown, canal. Which Malchus is not able to go up so high above. Because Malchus can only go up to Chachma, to wisdom, not higher, only once a year Malchus goes up even into Keter when by the last prayer of Yom Kippur, it says Malchus rises above, above, above Chachma. It goes all the way up into Keter. Then Malchus is pulled all the way in into Keter. And even them, it's not the it's not the inner part of Keter, 
It's the diyukn, it's the beard of Arich, whatever that means. But not to the level of skull, which we're talking about over here. Azai, then, that means even the ila of Yom Kippur, which is so high, even then we don't go there. Azai, Yisrael, Nasu, Oz. Yet when this when this power was then revealed, as Yisrael Nasu as then Israel then ascended past the Shechina. Malchus Tatzilus. The Jewish people moved ahead of the Shechina, that's the source of us, and we went past her. Because we went up into Keter. So what does that mean? Isn't the Shechina the source of our souls? So how do you go past the Shechina? So the, the answer, I think, which I'm getting now, Keter is only revealed, the inner pleasure of God is only revealed in the act of a mitzvah, in the action. The act of a mitzvah must be in physical bodies. As great as the Shekhinah is, she's not enclosed in a physical body. She's the spiritual energies of the world. She is not enclosed in the physical body. So the sparks of the Shekhinah, which are the souls, that are enclosed in bodies and therefore could fulfill the ultimate purpose of God, which is doing God's will in the physical, are ascending past the Shekhinah's ascent by the Kriyas Yamsef. And all the invitation into the innermost of Kesar can only be through physical Torah mitzvahs. And that's the meaning, and this is the wild idea. Adya, it says, but when, when, the, when we were singing the song by the sea, we said, Adyavar, until the Jews will cross over. They said, let everybody, be, let all the nations be terrified. Let them all be silenced in fear until they cross over. So the words that the Torah uses is, Adyavar Amcha, Amcha Hashem, until God, your people, will cross over. That's a weird word. Adyavar Amcha Hashem. If it's saying already Amcha, then we know it's Hashem. Adyavar Amcha. What's Adyavar Amcha Hashem? Amcha means your people. So the way we're reading it wrong, not wrong, on the simple level, that's what it means, but on a much deeper level, this is wild. Adyavar, we don't read it Adyavar until they will cross. Who and Amcha Hashem means those who will cross is your people, your your people. Who who is you? Your people, God. That's the way you read it on the simple. No. Ad Yavar, Amcha, until your people will cross. Who will, now what will they cross? Hashem, they will cross over past Hashem. Hashem is not going on your people. It's not a definition on the people. Your people, it's not a description regarding the people. It's what they're going to cross. Two your people are going to cross past Yutke Vavke. Because Yudkei Vavke are the ten spherot. Shechina and above Shechina, even Chachma. They're crossing past them. But who is crossing? Amcha. Amcha is referring to us while we're in bodies. Amcha, your people. The lowest level of the Jewish people when we're in physical bodies. Because when we're doing physical mitzvahs, we are then in a direct, especially in the joy of a physical mitzvah. 
it seems to be not so much just the physical mitzvah, but the physical mitzvah in a joyous way. Then Ad Yavit Amucha Hashem. We're crossing past Yud Kevavke. We ascend above Yudke Vavke. Because there's a revelation of Peter at that moment, so we go utterly past Yudke Vavke, which is God's name. And that's why it says, We attain such a high level that the angel of God, which is the Shekhinah, now. That was walking before them. By the splitting of the sea, this was all in front of the Jewish camp. But now, uh, quite on the contrary, she was our stimulation. She was the one pulling us. We were all coming in tow after her. She was towing, she was like the tow truck, towing all the souls into godliness. At a certain point, we all ran ahead of the tow. Ran, we run ahead of the of the one who's towing us and ascend past the Shekhinah, past all these levels. And now it went behind them. At the time of the splitting of the sea, Israel, who, who do we mean by Israel? We mean the souls of Israel in bodies down here below. They were above and ahead. Knesses Yisrael in the Shekhinah. Nasel Achareim. The Knesses Yisrael, the Shekhinah, was now behind the Daila Maven, and is enough to those who understand. And this explains this dynamic of what was going on over here. And on that, Hashem says, to the horses, to the female horses of the chariot of Pharaoh, I compare you, my bride. And also it means I silenced you, my bride. There's two, two, two commentaries on the word dimisich. means dimion, which means comparison, and also silent, and both of them work together. Because on this level where I'm comparing you to this whole procedure, the comparison, comparison is, is in the silence. It's a level where you can't reach. The level where you can't go, only where God gives Himself to you, and where does He give Himself to you in the physical act? So, what's so powerful over here? What the power over here is as follows: We, 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 from the from the dawn of time, humans are trying. Not all humans. A lot of humans are just having a good time in silly things, but those that are seeking to be deeper and higher and are seeking to to get connected have always thought that the way to reach the highest levels of connections. Are always through spiritual journeys. People always want to reach heaven and heaven and spiritual journeys and higher spiritual. What we get to learn over here is there's nothing greater than being in your body and doing something godly in this world. Help your neighbor. Do something good. You, you might not see the flashing stars and all of that, but know you're touching the essence of, of goodness, the essence of God, much more than all the spiritual float. You know, uh, um, experiences or raptures that you might have. That's nice and wonderful. Not, nothing wrong with that. But it's all supposed to lead you to more goodness and kindness in, in the physical world. In the small little things that we do, which we think are so meaningless, they are, they're it. That's what's wild over here. That's, what the, these, that's why these teachings are so revolutionary, because they always bring you back to here and now. 
You have it all in front of you today. Do, do a mitzvah. Do something good. Do something that God wants you to do in this world. That's where it's at. And then be happy about it. Okay. With this we conclude. For this week. I'm not going to be here next.